Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I'm very excited to be joined by tech entrepreneur and artificial intelligence expert Tabitha Goldstock. Tabitha is the co-founder of Cognition X, a market intelligence platform for artificial intelligence and she's also the chair of the UK government's AI Council and a recipient of the Amy Johnson Inspiration Award by the Women's Engineering Society. Today, she joined me to discuss how AI could impact the future of dating, which is something I know absolutely nothing about and uh, hopefully you don't either, in which case you will find this chat as interesting as I did. Enjoy the show. Hi, Tabitha. Hello. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Whereabouts are you today? I'm actually in Suffolk, um, in on on a farm. I live what's your between my farm and London? Oh, that's nice. What's your um, what's your tier for lockdown? <laughs> it's a really good question. We I'm still in both London and um, Suffolk in the in sort of tier you can you can meet in groups of six. Can't even remember what they're called anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, who knows? We might be in different tiers. <laughs> I'm just hoping that maybe they'll change the age of people. So like my son is one, so we can't meet in more than five, really, because he's obviously number six. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, it's so it's so tricky, isn't it? It's so bloody confusing. Anyway, um, let's get on to uh AI, which is what yes. you're here to talk to me about. So a very basic question to start with. For those who may not know, what is AI? Well, it's a very good question. And what I love is that even the most expert, expert AI people still ask each other that question. So what it really is, is a, a concept of being able to teach machines how to think and act like humans. Um, it is a concept that to some is many, many, many years away. It's hotly debated, but, you know, between 50 and, and never. Um, and to others, it's something that they're working on every single day. But ultimately, what we should think of as, as AI now is, is what we think of as narrow artificial intelligence rather than artificial general intelligence, which brings you the philosophy and the sci-fi. So artificial narrow intelligence is all about um, the difference between uh, what we do to to, you know, traditionally with um, a, a machine and what we do with artificial intelligence. So traditionally, you would give a set of instructions. And what we're looking to start to do and what AI does is you um, train a machine based on real world data or synthetic data, but data feeds a machine and then a machine will make inferences from that data rather than, you know, set instructions. So what are some examples of modern day devices and technologies that use AI? So we might be uh, on a Zoom call and you might be speaking in French and I'm speaking in English and I have no idea what you'll be saying in French, but you could be using uh, AI to translate that live, for example. 
one of my favorites. I love the idea of never having to. Uh, personally, I was so bad at languages. That was a really good one for me. Um, obviously, learning languages is a, has many other reasons, and especially in love, actually. You know, thinking about millennial love, it's so sexy to be able to speak languages, but not something I'm very good at. So I quite like that. Example. Yeah, I was just thinking, could I speak in English and then we could trans translate it to French? Oh, much yeah. Sexier. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, share, like, wow, yeah. That's exactly what you need. I'm so bad at French. My whole family speaks fluent French and I literally can't speak a word. I'm hopeless. Well, there we are. AI tool that you can help me progress so it comes out quicker. Yeah, a useful tool for seduction. Um, So can you also tell us a bit about what you do in AI and your new book, How to Talk to Robots? course so what I do is I joke that I'm like the Kevin Bacon of AI so my job really is to be able to get to, you know to be able to link um, people to each other so um, at COGX which is the company that I uh, co-founded with Charlie Muirhead our, it's, our job is to have a platform whereby we host content um, so events that people run we host many different thought leaders um, to uh, help people really get together and do business and then my other job is I'm the chair of the government's AI council so in that capacity I bring together the, really the UK's best 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 experts to advise the government on where um, technology is going and the reason why I wrote how to talk to robots was because of this journey I've been on I felt incredibly lucky and uh, a little bit selfish if I kept all that information to myself and there were all these women that I knew and my friends who were no you know nowhere near the tech industry but their worlds were becoming uh, tech and AI enabled the way they lived the way they worked the way they had fun the way they kind of did anything AI was so pervasive and I realized that if I didn't write a book I would kick myself in five years time as when my friends started losing their jobs to machines and that I needed to have written something that um, you know for all or you know anyone who's identifies really as 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 a woman or as a girl that could help them and the reason I wrote it just for people who identify as women is because I feel like there has been uh well we know we've seen all the stats there aren't enough women in the 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 companies building this technology but uh worse than that um the technologies are biasing against women um especially biasing against women of color and we have this kind of uh huge challenge ahead of us if we don't get more conscious to what's happening the idea of losing your job to AI is terrifying. Right. <laughs> I mean, I know obviously a lot of people have lost their jobs in the pandemic and that is awful. But imagine being told that you're losing your job because a robot can do it better than you. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's happening. And it's been happening. But also we've got to remember that it's been happening for time immemorial. Like, um, you know, whether there it was the it was the the loom and and women you know who weren't sewing anymore, or whether it was the women who got us to Mars, the the NASA computers that were actually humans, you know, the world progresses. But my um, my hypothesis is that that uh, that women and have have spent so long adapting that actually they're the perfect people to adapt to this next wave of technology like artificial intelligence, and they will be able to work alongside the AI as best as the, you know, as best as, um, you know, the best in class. And ultimately I'm hoping that no one needs to lose their jobs because effectively all tasks, you know, might, you know, bits of tasks that a, mo- a machine can do better, they should be done better by, by, by a machine. And then the humans 
other humans in that loop that make sure that the full product is good. So ultimately, there is a world where people don't need to lose their jobs to automation or AI, as long as we are retraining, reskilling, and pushing the boundaries of what humans can do by freeing them up from all the like dirty, dull, dangerous jobs um, that are out there today. Right. That makes, that makes a bit more sense. It's more about kind of complementing the work as opposed to replacing it. Exactly. Now, the bit of the book that I want to talk to you about today is where you talk about the intersection of AI and sex. And yeah. you interview the computer scientist, Kate Devlin, in the book about this. And she says that we could use AI in the future to actually enhance the way we have sex. What, what do you make of that? And to what extent do you think that might be true? And also, how, how would that even work? Uh, good question. So I'm like the queen prude. Like I, I it's, it's what, there, there are two things that I really hate talking about. It's sort of warfare, uh, AI warfare, you know, the killer robots um, and sex. And both of those things are vital. It's like, neither of them are going away. We have to talk about them. And so that's why I interviewed Kate, because I, I felt so uncomfortable with it myself. Um, and my, you know, I flipped from, I, I flipped from thinking, oh, AI robots, that would, enable AI robots that would have sex that would enable um you know free expression and love and loneliness and there's all these like I have like a utopian view of how it could work but I also have the complete dystopian view where we are pushing more uh you know pornographic unrealistic expectations onto men and women and, and sex and so this is what's so amazing about AI as a as a field is that anytime you talk about it you can see the utopian and the dystopian and what we're trying to do as an ecosystem is to or as an industry i guess uh is to kind of narrow those and get to what does the reality mean and that's what i love about kate and the way that kate is just like completely no bullshit and she really describes kind of what the opportunities are the risks the rewards without being too alarmist which i can imagine if i'd done it all by myself i would have been quite alarmist so when we talk about sex and AI, and th this is something that Kate brings up, but just to, before I go on to talk to you about this, I want to talk about sex robots, but what other kind of like actual tangible ways do these two things interact? Is it about sex toys that use AI? Yeah, so I think, um, I think you have what she talks about and, and what I've learned from, from sort of studying the space is you have... Um, uh, kind of a, a range from health, I guess, at one end of the spectrum. So I think, you know, the Kegel and, um, and any technologies which, which are really in the kind of the women's health space around sex, around understanding intimacy, there's AI tools that help you understand your hormones, help you understand your, um, you know, one of my very good friends uh, has a company called Moody, which helps you track how you're feeling when you're feeling and recommending vitamins and that will start to use data and artificial intelligence and so that, i think there's that end of the spectrum where of course that's not like specifically sex but i know that i sometimes feel more sexy than others and it's a really nice it's a really nice end of um you know use of artificial intelligence for for women and then you have um as you said sort of sex toys and and sort of a, a vr ar uh ways that ai is being using to stimulate people and then i think you have the 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 more scary ideas around ai being used in like deep fakes and you know creating pornographic uh, material that is fake and ultimately i get myself into like you know 
um, you know, a, a kind of a head spin thinking about uh, thinking about uh, deep fakes in general, but specifically when it comes to sex, you know, the, the bullying, the the, um, the the risks there are huge. Mm. For those for those listeners who might not know, could you mind um, would you mind explaining what deep fake actually is? Oh, of course, yeah. So a deep fake is um, a little bit like. Um, the kind of well it is it started off with fake news it started off even with you know Stalin when he in Russia used to like uh, like add his face to important meetings even if he wasn't there then we had fake news um, where you know I think everyone knows what fake news is but deep fakes is the kind of the progression of that whereby we're using artificial intelligence to make things completely almost completely impossible to see that there's a that there is um that it's fake rather than it's real so for example i could have my voice on obama's face um or obama's voice in my face and it would be pretty undiscernible to the human eye um how that's happened and you can imagine we could start wars um uh, but also you can imagine how that could be used in in illegal uh, pornography as well how advanced does the ai have to be in order for someone to be able to produce a deep fake like that? Like how, how easy is it to do something like that? Like are the people doing it? Are they really, really, do they know their shit? Or is it like anyone can do that if they, you know, do a quick Google? So I think um, what's scary is that you don't have to be the best in the field to do it. it there are bedroom coders doing this. It's not a quick Google, um, but it is definitely something that can be done at home um, with the algorithms that are out there. Okay, that's a little, that's a little scary still. Um, <laughs> another, scary, another scary thing, uh, sex robots. This is yeah. something that I am so fascinated by. There have been a few documentaries about sex robots in the last few years because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they seem to be increasing in prevalence and popularity, um, I guess, because they're becoming more advanced. Um, is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think they're becoming more advanced and they're becoming more normalized as kind of thing, you know, that, that sort of, um, it, it's a normal thing. It becomes more and more normal to talk about. They become better and better technology at the same time, people demanding them more. I mean, we'll, it'll be fascinating to see. I don't know if there's any stats. Maybe I should have researched this before I came on the call, but um, the, in the pandemic, I imagine the number of de the demand for sex robots will have gone up. Mm, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, now, when we talk about sex robots, the only ones I've seen in documentaries are of women and they represent a very like singular type of physicality. The one that, you know, we see time and time again in porn and in Hollywood, uh, you know, she's typically tall and slim with big breasts, small waist. Uh, so I guess the fear is if these robots do become more and more popular, you know, what are the risks in terms of exacerbating a culture whereby women are objectified and, and viewed purely as sexual commodities. I think that that is that is exactly the biggest risk, and it's it's the same for lots of things when, within AI, where we we sort of we we add our a human, um, you know, we humanize um, uh, we humanize technology in a way that we shouldn't. And in this scenario, it's really really dangerous. Um, I wonder if there's even you know, argument, especially in things like the, the UK's online harms around online harms regulation for children. I wonder if there's argument where, you know, fake 
pornography should become illegal too you know what's the where is where is the boundary there i really don't know it's totally not my expert area but i know that i feel uncomfortable at the thought of uh, further um furthering this view of 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 women as um object uh, obviously we have to stop that mm, yeah and also because definitely is a, a way that that will happen more yeah and also you think about just in terms of like consent that's the mm. other really terrifying thing isn't it because it's like these are women that you know can be completely controlled and yeah. they don't have the right to say no yeah. I think we saw that in humans. Um, Gemma Chan is, is someone that I'm really keen to, to understand how it felt to act, to play the, the humanoid robot in humans, um, because she was exactly in that position um, where it was, she was a robot that grew consciousness effectively as she was being ejectified. Um, I kind of made it sound a little bit darker than it really was. Humans was you know, great TV show. Actually, uh, but I, I think that's all right. Well, that's kind of all I felt when I saw it. I couldn't see it in any other way. Um, and I think that there's a, there's a real risk that we, you know, young boys grow up thinking that that's the only way, you know, that that's the norm. Um, and that's, we already have that challenge with pornography. So um, it's definitely a real issue. Um, and I don't know how that get solved because traditionally we have a challenge where if you look at any of these sex robot companies they are all built by uh, men um, and in many cases white men uh, Asian men who um, you know they don't have anyone saying to them this makes us feel uncomfortable they don't create a, a place for diversity and inclusion in their businesses so that just means that um, there is no quick fix to this it needs to be like a full systemic cultural change Right. I'm just remi I'm reminded of one documentary I saw and the guy who was making the sex robots. Uh, yeah, like you said, he was like a white middle-aged man and his girlfriend was a sex robot. And it was freaky how human-like she was. Um, is it, is, so like you said, so it is mostly men in this field. So is it, it's mostly women sex robots then that are being yeah. produced? Right. That, that that's definitely what I've seen so far. And that's what Kate um, spoke about was, was that kind of the fear that she saw from the, her research. Her book's called Turned On, which I just thought was, you know, very, <laughs> very apposite. Very clever. Yeah. Um, and just looking at the other side of things then. So for the user of the sex robots, mm. it's, it's also concerning. And so I'm thinking about um, that film, um, that Joaquin Phoenix film from 2013, mm. Her, which is so brilliant. And also looking at it now, it seems like, I remember when I watched that and I thought, God, it's so futuristic because it's yeah. about a man who falls in love with his AI personal assistant who is voiced by Scarlett Johansson, who obviously has a very, very sexy voice. Mm -hmm. um, and so he falls in love with her. And, you know, it seems like a really dystopian, like impossible thing. But then in the summer, there was a survey that came out that found that 14% of men admitted to being turned on by their Amazon Echo devices. Now, I will just establish, there's a slight caveat here. This survey was conducted by a sex toy brand yes. that probably sells voice-activated sex toys. So there might have been a slight motivation there. But even <laughs> so, that yeah. is really terrifying. Um, so is that, is that possible, do you think, that people can actually start having relationships with AI virtual technology? Yeah, I, I, I no longer am shocked. <laughs> 
I think that's the problem. It's like, yep, you know, I hear that and you, you I can't help but be, um, yeah, I'm, I'm no longer shocked by that as a scenario. And I think that the, the problem we have is that the way that men interact with, um, or anyone interacts with an AI, in order to interact with your Alexa, you have to bark instructions, you have to you, uh, forget your, uh, your pleases and thank yous because the 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 uh, the system doesn't accept you know mumbling or the way I'm talking now there's no way a robot would hear me any kind of sorries any kind of like you know kindness any uh, superfluous language doesn't work and so you know it's going to be years until that works Google du Duplex um, came came out a few years ago to quite a lot of furore. Um, around you know booking restaurants and now it's also booking hairdressers and it's really a little bit better but not much better um you know the technology just isn't there for this kind of level of, of subtle nuance interaction and so her is a great example of where we might get to but right now you're talking about falling in love with something that is programmed in most cases a lot of the, these sex robots don't actually have very sophisticated ai in them and that you need to bark instructions at and so i think we're at a serious risk of that then being the way that you interact with, you don't expect to be able to have sex. Um, I mean, it's absolutely terrifying. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's reassuring to know, though, that te the technology isn't quite yet, quite there yet to have that level of intimate conversation. Well, exactly. It's not quite there yet. And we still have, um, there is, there is, there is still so much, um, there is still so much good to be had from artificial intelligence that I spend a lot of my life talking to people about the fact that they should be pointing AI at climate change and um, challenges where we don't know how to solve them as humans. Mm. And to be honest, every time I see something around a sex robot or anything to do in this space, I think, oh God, that's a waste of great engineers. Yeah. So much better stuff that they could be spending their time um, doing than creating you know, subservient female-esque sex, female sex robots. <laughs> so to, to the best of your knowledge, though, is that technology, are there people out there trying to advance the technology to that point, whether it's in sex robots or just in an Alexa to the point where you can have a, you know, a normal conversation with an AI device? Is that something that is the aim? Yeah, 
there are research, there are companies, um, there are companies out there, DeepMind's tagline is to solve intelligence and then use that to solve everything else. And they want to apply that to, you know, uh, climate change and health and really good world problems. There's companies like OpenAI, um, which has just recently released GPT-3, which is during, you know, which is a, an AI where you can feed, um, uh, te you know, data, text, and get poetry and uh, full-blown articles, and yeah, no, that's definitely something that people are looking for. Google Duplex, um, you can now book your hairdressing appointment. Um, right. There's a lot of people who are looking to try and make that interaction as seamless as possible. Um, there are also ethicists who are working alongside them and also working kind of outside and shouting at them to make sure that that is done um, transparently, ethically, um, and responsibly. Um, one of my favorite is, is um, uh, Toby Walsh, actually, in Australia, who talks about um, needing a kind of... Um, someone who comes before an AI with a flag saying, you know, this is an AI, this is an AI, a little bit like they had when cars were first on the road um, but after horses, where you'd have someone who would walk in front of the car and tell pedestrians, oh, this is a car coming, boop, boop. Um, and so, you know, maybe we would need this, a similar thing for artificial intelligence. But there are, there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of amazing researchers in this space who are, who are fighting for our human rights, really. Mm. So do you think then if we do get to a point where you can turn around to a device and say, I'm feeling sad today, they will respond with something reassuring. Like, is that? Yeah. They, we have that today. There's, a, there's an app called Replica. I can never remember how to spell it, but there's sort of a few um, Replica with a K. Um, where and there are other mental health apps where that is happening and it's it's really it's great you know it's it's enabling it's enabling people to feel less lonely um there are you know it's a, it's part of the process obviously it's not a therapist in any way but it's part of the process of of trying to help people talk mm. um and share their feelings and as long as you know it's an ai but it's still quite therapeutic i did it for a week every evening i would talk to this replica um the leg and um yeah it's a really interesting feeling because you are effectively you know you're talking to a machine um but it's still an in quite cathartic moment and um and i think that in time that's probably something that we'll need to do more i mean this country is not very good at looking after its elderly people um you know, being the UK, and I'm generally embarrassed about that. Um, but I've seen, I think there's a bot called Wobot um, that, you know, is a sort of small, um, you know, AI that can, will talk, um, will talk to people. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting challenge because although I'm uncomfortable at the idea of needing something like this, it we do need things like this. Mm. And um, maybe the pandemic showed us that we need to pay more people, humans, to be in the caring profession. But, um, you know, there is, and, and the, the need for AIs to fill in there is probably, uh, you know, a serious and systemic issue. But um, while it's there, um, technology will normally fill those vacuums. I wanted to ask you about the term technosexuals, because that is a term that people are kind of using more and more now to describe this like wider intersection between sex and technology generally. So not just with AI, but also with like, you know, dating apps and social media. And the idea being that like the digital world now dictates so much of how we operate in 
the world of romance, you know, everything from who we fancy to who we flirt with to who we have sex with and, and how we do all of those things. So I guess my question for you is quite a broad one. Um, technology has completely changed the way that people date. Do you think that that is a good thing? Yeah. It, it, um, yes. Um, if the answer was one word, yes, but it's not <laughs> one word. Um, I think, um, I think what the, what the internet has done, so sort of not just technology, but the internet, i.e. we're connected to many, many more people is that it means that um, there is always a way to find somebody to be, to, who's similar to you or you're compatible with you. Um, and I've been reading, um, you know, uh, I've been reading books recently that talk, that talk about actually communities should never be more than 150 and we should all be next door to each other and we should live in communes. And like, I love that thought, but we're not going back there anytime soon. Um, well, at least I don't think we are. I mean, obviously the pandemic means that we're all sitting in tables of six, but um, potentially we are. But let, let, let's put that to one side. Um, the internet has allowed us to be able to connect with somebody who is like-minded. And I think that that has spawned amazing things, uprisings, um, uh, activism movements. It's enabled, uh, you know, very, 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 very niche subgroups of like jigsaw puzzle creators to get together. Like there's a kind of, um, that's just showing my weird hobbies. Um, but there is a, um, that is fantastic. Um, and it saved people's lives. It has made people's lives. And I think that if we, applying that to finding love is really important. Finding love is so hard um, uh, because it needs, so many components like you need to be compatible both like mentally and physically and it's then it's not always the people that you know or that you get set up set up with by your family or your friends and so i love the idea that you can find somebody you know needle in a haystack effectively by using ai now that oh, sorry by using technology or ai Mm. Now the challenge is, is when you lean too much into that and you believe too much in that and suddenly you let the algorithms take over your life and you then don't think about the serendipity and you're not finding people like you're not kind of um, taking control of it. So I think as long as you're somebody who like is conscious of how um, the technology is trying to drive you in a certain direction and you are controlling that technology, I think it's brilliant. I really mm. do. That's a really good point. It kind of goes back to what you were saying before about um, robots complementing the work of real people rather than replacing them. It's like, it's like having an awareness that, exactly. you know, this isn't the only thing. But the problem is I don't think that's how most people use technology in the dating world. I think it's become, particularly now in the pandemic, you know, it's been seen as the only option. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, it's completely changed the dating culture and the way that people treat each other. Yeah. And so that I think is the issue. What's interesting about it is like, obviously the development of technology has been used to solve so many aspects of our lives and make so many things easier, you know, like right. thinking about Uber and ordering food and travel and all that stuff. But mm. I feel like the one exception where it's not a hundred percent certain that it's going to work, unless like you said, you have that awareness mm. is with love because it's, yeah it's not something that can be reduced to an algorithm entirely. 
Totally not. Totally, totally, totally not. And I think that's why it's got to be, a, it's like one tool in the love seekers arsenal rather than the tool. Um, the, uh, I watched a very strange TV show last night called Upload, which was on um, Amazon. It's not to be recommended. Um, sorry, if anyone yeah, loves it. Um, but it was about like an afterlife and it's sort of, you know, with a hunk gets you know uploaded but what was interesting was that it's 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 created in in a in a in a future whereby um the people on earth so haven't been uploaded into kind of this sort of heaven state um every night they play effectively their dating app and the algorithm matches them with three people only and you basically have to sleep with one of them and it's really weird because it's like a total like sub part of the movie it just seems to be happening oh not movie tv show just seems to be happening in the background and I just was flabbergasted by how that wasn't like the whole point of the show, right? But it was just like, oh yeah, that's what will be happening in the future, standard, yeah, whatever. And, that's mad. Um, right. And, you know, Aldous Huxley is like the most famous, I guess, for that being the, the vibe, which is, you know, there are some people put on this earth just to like, um, you know, pleasure others. But this was just really kind of modern and it, it wasn't just played as dystopian. It was almost like, that's easy. And everyone was like high-fiving. And I was like, God, have I like got really uncool? <laughs> like to still be, believe in love is just really lame. But, um, you know, I think, um, I think that the pandemic has enabled, as you said, like that feels slightly more normal than it is. Um, but it does have to be something in, I think it has to be something that is not frowned upon because um, at the moment it is hard to find love. Well, sorry, it's mm. always has been hard, hard to find love, but especially now when, you know, we don't have small communities where, um, we don't have small communities and we've got incredibly high expectations of what love is meant to give us as well. And so you're in this kind of dichotomy of like looking for the perfect um, and everything around us is, a, is getting easier, as you said, um, except for this. Yeah. But like, you, but exactly like that's the problem. You, when you have all this technology at your disposal and you have dating apps, you are then encouraged to look for the perfect match. And right. yeah, our expectations are way too high, not just of, you know, what we're, when we're looking for love, but also I think when we're in love, totally. um, you know, it's just, we have this completely unrealistic view of what it should be like and how we should feel and how it should look. But I mean, that's, that's not just to blame on technology, you know, that's also like yeah. entrenched societal norms and those bloody rom-coms. <laughs> bloody rom-coms. <laughs> It's all sorts. It's all sorts. It goes way back. If there's one thing that you think AI could do to revolutionize and enhance the way that we date or the way that we behave in love and in relationships, and maybe that technology doesn't exist yet, what do you think that could be? I think it's about leveling the playing field. So I think that men and women have a very different um, perspective on life and one of those reasons is because women have a biological clock that ticks very loudly um in a way that men biologically well, i shouldn't say biologically but men them you know don't feel um in the same way all the time and this is a tricky area for me to talk about but i think it's really important um to talk about the fact that there is um 
if there was any way that artificial intelligence could give women more time. So in the same way that pill, the pill gave women more time, it, you know, it, it enabled women to have um, more control over when they had babies. Um, I wonder what uh, and how artificial intelligence could be another leveler and give women more time back. Um, there's a wonderful book called The Trouble with Lichen, which is um, by um, John Wyndham. And it talks about finding a lichen that enables women, uh, sorry, enables anybody to live for longer. And the man scurries away this, um, this finding, this philosopher, uh, sorry, this uh, professor, scurries away his finding and he kind of only ever allows his children and himself to take this elixir of life. Whereas the, the female um, professor in the, in the same unit finds it and decides to start putting it into women's face cream. And slowly but surely women have longer to live. And suddenly the power dynamic shifts. And this book was written pre, uh, pre-pill and by a man who I don't know if he thought, if he saw how feminist uh, or how I would read this in such a feminist way, but I wonder how AI could do a similar thing um, and provide women with longer to live um, or, you know, a better chances of IVF working. Um, or ways that um, they can be leveled out. This is, I'm so sure I'm on really dangerous ground. So I apologize to anybody that I might have upset with that as a topic, but I, I th- I'm still formulating and maybe your audience and listeners could, um, could call in <laughs> at another time or message us on Twitter and tell us what they think. Yeah, I know, please do. But I mean, that, that would be, I agree, if there could be anything that could, that could level out the power play between men and women and straight relationships. I mean, that is a big thing, particularly for women, like you said, in their 30s who are heading towards that so-called ticking time bomb. It's, you know, it characterizes so much more than we think it does um, in straight relationships. It, yeah. it, really, it really affects everything. And actually, there's, there's a few people that talk about how, um, how the kind of the dynamic shifts. I think it's Dolly Alderton that talks about this. Mm. Um, you know, when you're, in, when you're a woman in your 20s, you're not thinking about having children. So in your relationships with men, you're kind of often the one who is in a little bit more control, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, or, or there's just more, it's, it's more equal. But then yeah. as a single woman gets into her 30s and starts thinking more about children, you know, that's obviously not a pressure that men in their early 30s are thinking about. So the dynamic kind of shifts and suddenly, you know, the men hold the power and the control because they don't need they don't need women they, they like right. they don't need to have their kids now whereas you know women get to 35 36 37 it's like your chances are decreasing slowly and slowly exactly it, completely, and, it characterizes it characterizes everything from the way that right. people treat one another to, to absolutely everything it's it's yeah. so it's messed up <laughs> it's painful to to when you, once you start to think about it and and the 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 things that women do because of that it's it's a tragedy really yeah um well it is time now for our (laughs) lessons in love segment oh yeah uh so this is the part of the show where i ask every guest to share something that they've learned from their previous relationship experiences um it can be anything it can be generic or it can be personal um so tabitha what is your lesson in love today i was thinking can i read a poem yeah hell yeah love poems that's never okay. happened on the show before <laughs> okay so it's it's rather cheesy because it's uh, um it's by someone that um 
by someone called Cahil Gibran. Uh, I'm never very sure how to say, but it's called On Marriage. And I, I personally don't think it's all about marriage. I, um, for one, have a wonderful son and haven't been married, but I think it's good advice for everybody in any relationship. Um, and it starts by saying, um, you were born together and together you shall be forevermore. You shall be together when the white wings of death scatter your days. I, you shall be together even in the silent memory of God. But let there be spaces in your togetherness and let the winds of heavens dance between you. Love one another, but not make a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. Give one another your bread, but eat not from the same loaf. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let each of you not be alone. Even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the same music. Give your hearts, but not into each other's keeping, for only the hand of life can contain your hearts. And stand together, yet not too near together, for the pillars of the temple stand apart, and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. And that, for me, was just a very um, momentous moment when I realized that you didn't need to be in each other's pockets, basically. <laughs> I love in short. That. Yeah, I mean, it's about it to me. I'd listen to that. It's about autonomy and about power. Yeah, yeah. It's but that's so important because you know, I mean, you see couples that are incredibly codependent and yeah. suffocating, and it's it's completely unhealthy. It's a really unhealthy dynamic. You know, you're not the relationship's not going to thrive if, like you said, you're in each other's pockets all the time. Right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the uh, RGB documentary, is like my just that relationship is amazing because both partners had power and they both lent on each other when they needed to but they you know they stood apart and I think mm. that's just an amazing example so I hope that poet that poetry helps some someone else I love that thank you so much no one's ever read a poem before and I feel like now <laughs> I want to start incorporating poems into every episode oh, I love poetry so much so do I there are so many lovely poems about oh. relationships like Wendy Cope's poems are so yes. great when I was breastfeeding, all I did was sit and read poems really? like, to myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love that. That's such a nice idea. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a new listener to this show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or anywhere else. You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. Keep up with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.